Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borovich. In the previous episode, we invited Jason Brook, a medical device attorney and regulatory quality advisor, to speak about the multitude of paths entrepreneurs can take to get regulatory approvals. While we focused mainly on U.S., we did also compare regulatory developments in other areas of the world. My guest today is Brian Harris, CEO and co-founder of MedRhythms. MedRhythm's mission, in their own words, is to positively impact the lives of those living with neurologic injury and disease by building next-generation neurotherapeutics that leverage the power of music and technology to redefine what's possible in brain health. Imagine that, music as medicine. But before we dive in, I wanted to have Brian or Owen, or both, on our first season, but for many reasons it didn't work out. But there's a time and a place for everything. And on the heels of their fundraise, a deal with Biogen and a first-of-its-kind partnership with Universal Music Group, it is absolutely the perfect time to have Brian on this DTX podcast. I finally met Brian at Health Conference in Boston last year, in person. And the high energy and passion just exuded when we met. And it does so in this podcast as well. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brian Harris. Brian, welcome to the DTX podcast. As you know, I wanted to have you guys, you and Owen, last season, but we made it in season two. So we'd love to get to know you, who you are, your background, how you got to start MedRhythms, and a small interesting fact about yourself. Well, thanks, Eugene. It's great to be here. Certainly an honor to be on the show. And anytime we get to share about this journey that we're on at MedRhythms, it's always an honor for me to do so. So I appreciate you having me here. I'm Brian, the co-founder and CEO of MedRhythms. By background, I'm a board-certified music therapist, and I specifically have advanced training in the neuroscience of music, and specifically how that can be clinically applied to help people recover from neurologic disease and injury. So that could be stroke, traumatic brain injury, Parkinson's disease, MS. And thinking about how we started the company, I was a clinician at Spalding Rehab Hospital in Boston, which is the Harvard Medical School affiliate for neurorehabs, where I was treating patients using live music interventions and primarily treating patients with stroke and brain injuries. And we were finding that patients were getting better faster with greater results. And we now had the neuroscience that we could not only explain how these results were possible, but also how we could standardize and replicate them. And very quickly after I started their music therapy program at Spalding, the demand for my services, both from physicians who were writing orders for me to see their patients, but also from patients and their family members who were saying, you know, Brian, you helped my dad walk again. How do I get more of this when I leave the hospital? And at the time, really, the answer was, there's nothing you can do. And as a clinician, that was an awful conversation for me to have with patients and their family members on a regular basis. And so it was really based upon the results that we were seeing in the clinic and the demand that we were seeing that we started MedRhythms around this fundamental mission of how do we bring this important care to everybody around the world that we believe fundamentally not only needs it, but deserves to have access to it. And that was really the genesis of MedRhythms. Your previous job and your training is probably an interesting fact by itself. Any other ones that you want to add to the mix here? (laughs) Interesting facts. I love to play ping pong and I'm probably strangely too good at ping pong than I should be uh, for the normal person, but not good enough for as amount of ping pong as I played in my life, to be honest. I had a ping pong table, still do in my house, and I play a lot. So I love ping pong. Brian, I will take you on. Let's go. 
I'm actually pretty much in the same boat. So uh, looking forward to that. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, that'd be fun. The next conference we're at, Eugene, we'll have to play. Exactly. Exactly. So let's start. I mean, you guys were definitely one of the early trailblazers, starting it somewhere around 2013, but correct me if I'm wrong. And obviously, everybody needs some funding and you either bootstrap it or raise it. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit of your fundraising efforts. DTX was barely even a term still. How are you pitching this? Give us a little bit more on the financing side to get this off the ground. Yeah, it's interesting. When we first started the organization, as you mentioned in 2013, we actually originally started the company as a therapy services provider. So we thought perhaps if we hired other clinicians that were trained like me in the specialization of neurologic music therapy, that's how we could grow and reach more people. And we quickly found that that model for a number of reasons, one, it's difficult and expensive and timely to scale a services business, but also number two, there simply weren't enough clinicians for the amount of need there were. So in about 2015, as we really transitioned to thinking about technology. So from our focus, the mission has always been, how do we reach more people? And as we thought about how we do that, answer was technology. Obviously, back in those days, digital therapeutics as a term was just beginning. I'll say we sort of happened across the field of digital therapeutics as we were thinking about technology. In those early days, Sometimes we were talking about digital medicine. Sometimes we were talking about just technology-enabled healthcare. And then as we came across digital therapeutics, that felt like the right fit because we always felt like the products that we would be building and the platform that we would develop would be evidence-based and regulated and prescribed like a drug, except it would happen to be software. And so this field of digital therapeutics really resonated but was the right fit as we thought about describing the organization. But as you mentioned in early days, nobody knew what digital therapeutics was. And it's very interesting as we've seen the evolution and raised more capital over the last few years to see how much more awareness has come. Because in early days, sometimes, you know, we talk about tech investors, they didn't really understand what FDA was. You think about med tech investors and they think about software and there was a lot of challenges there. But now we're starting to really see, I think, an understanding, thanks to some of the early trailblazers really of what this means. But those early days were difficult. No, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Brian Harris, CEO and co-founder of MedRhythms. Since we have, let's call it the masses listening to us, it's not just our own chamber of digital health aficionados. Maybe you can also describe what is the product experience for that patient slash and consumer, health consumer. I think it's great to at least try to visualize it over the voice here. Yeah, happy to do that, Eugene. And our products are really focused on using music, specifically rhythm, to improve walking following neurologic disease and injury. So it could be stroke, Parkinson's disease, MS, etc. The product itself has sensors that connect to the shoe that collect clinical grade biomechanics in real time. So we get data about how fast somebody's walking, how long their steps are, the symmetry of their steps, the variability of their steps. That feeds into our algorithm, which is based upon a mobile device. And then we deliver music via headphones. At the core of our product are our clinical thinking algorithms, which we've really designed based upon our clinical expertise in how to use music to engage the motor system in the brain and improve functional outcomes in walking. And we've designed these interventions essentially to think like a clinician and how we would deliver the intervention in the clinic. But the product itself is completely autonomous and designed to be utilized in the home setting without the need of a clinician present. 
So as we think about that experience, as the patient puts the sensors on, they log into the application on the mobile device, put on their headphones, everything is Bluetooth synced. So there are Bluetooth sensors, Bluetooth headphones. And as you can imagine, it's an auditory input, it's music. So largely the experience with the product is largely auditory in nature. As somebody begins a walking session, and let's just say, for example, it's somebody who's had a stroke and they're doing a 30 minutes walking session with this and walking intervention. They walk in silence for a period of time for about a minute at the beginning of a session. And in that silence, we're collecting all of their baseline data about how they're walking pre-intervention. Um, and then after that minute, we start music and the music is played at different tempos with different rhythms, but the music that they're listening to is actually likely familiar music. We recently signed a partnership with Universal Music Group, which is the world's largest record label for access to nearly their entire catalog and to be able to use it the way that we do therapeutically. So the actual experience to our end user is quite simple in that respect, is that they are walking to music and the music is continuously responding to them in real time based upon how they're functioning in that moment. So it's a closed loop system that's constantly mixing the music based upon how they're walking, but they're listening to familiar music. So hopefully, not only is it a simple experience, but perhaps fun and engaging and motivating for them as well. And super complex on the back end. And this actually dives me right into the next question around evidence generation for the product and the fact that you are going PDT route, prescription route. You know, maybe you can talk a little bit about, and I'll be geeky here, MR002 through 009. Would love to just understand a little bit of the evidence generation and how you're working that. Absolutely. And we think this is a critically important aspect of our platform and the specific products that we will launch off of it. One, because we're treating patients, right? It's important that it's rooted, that it's validated in this way through rigorous clinical trials. And particularly as we go through FDA, we may make claims about products. We need to root it and back it up with strong clinical evidence. And the intervention that we do is actually an established intervention called rhythmic auditory stimulation. And rhythmic auditory stimulation itself has been studied in the lab setting for about three decades, demonstrating how music and rhythm can be used to improve functional outcomes across disease states. Even a bit earlier than that is some of the fundamental neuroscience that demonstrates that you can use an external rhythmic cue to engage the human motor system. And what's so fascinating about this research is that this is really based upon advancements of neuroscience and neuroimaging technology that have shown us that 97% of the human population, regardless of age, culture, ability, or disability, everybody's brain objectively responds the same to music. And it's also been shown that engaging in music, that actually could be learning to play an instrument or engaging in the interventions that we do as clinicians, aids in the process of neuroplasticity. So actually helping the brain to create new connections or strengthen old connections. That foundation of research was in about the 1970s, showing that you could use rhythm to specifically target the motor system to improve outcomes. And then that was translated into the clinical intervention, rhythmic auditory simulation, in about the mid-1990s. That's the foundation of research that supports the products that we're building. And then across the board, we've gone through feasibility studies in each of our disease states. We're most advanced at the time with our chronic stroke product. So these are folks that are at least six months post-stroke where they still have deficits that persists. That's why it's called chronic stroke. Historically, it's been believed that these patients 
sort of plateau when you reach the six-month period, and there's nothing on the market that exists to be able to help these patients improve the way that they walk. And that's where we began. And so we went through a series of both robust algorithm development in early days where we were teaching the algorithms to make clinical decisions. And then from there through objective feasibility studies with third parties to learn more about the intervention and dosing, et cetera, and then launching a large multi-site randomized control trial in chronic stroke. On our pipeline, we have advanced in feasibility studies with our products in MS and Parkinson's disease, in acute stroke, and also in functional neurologic disorder. But we fundamentally believe as an organization that that is a critical and crucially important part of our development as an organization is to make sure that we get the science and the clinical intervention right. You mentioned earlier you're actually treating, and while music is medicine, we've been talking about this for probably decades to your point, right? Decades have been studied around it. Your decision to go prescription route versus, and not to call out other names, but you can download things in the app store, right? And there are therapeutic effects of it, non-clinical, but maybe you can dive a little bit deeper on the actual prescription route versus more of a consumer route. It's a really good question. And I think, you know, as most people think about music, everybody has that experience, right? Music can be therapeutic. When we listen to music, it can be therapeutic. The difference here and the reason why we chose to really focus on prescription digital therapeutics fell into a number of categories that were both business decisions and fundamentally clinical decisions in our mind. And with the results that we believed that we can get and the potential that we believe that this has, we are making claims and treating specific diagnoses. We are treating function related to neurologic disease and injury. And as such, we believe that the validation of clinical trials, along with regulated product that could be prescribed, was even on principle the right way to go, even to sort of elevate the intervention to that sense. The other thing is, as we think about maximizing you know, value, both for our patients, as we think about third-party payers, and also value of intervention itself, going that route was a way that I think allows us to differentiate away from many of these music and medicine products that could be out there that you can download in the app store. And I think will prove to be more valuable for us into the future. Well, let's dive right in and not beat around the bush here a little bit. To my knowledge, you guys are the first and probably only digital therapeutics company that struck a super interesting deal with a music label that you alluded to earlier. Maybe you can dive a little bit deeper on how that was born and some of the hypotheses there. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. It's exciting for us to enter into this partnership and collaboration with Universal Music Group. And Universal Music Group is the world's largest record label. They own nearly 50% of the world's music. And by virtue of the partnership with them, as I alluded to earlier, we get access to a significant part of their catalog and the rights to use it the way that we do therapeutically in our platform, providing clinical interventions for the patients that we serve. But in addition to that, we also get access to some of their data and analytics about the music itself, along with some PR and marketing help, and also access to artists for both PR and product purposes, which is really exciting for us to think about holistically. We've always believed at MedRhythms that success doesn't happen in silos, that we really need to think about partnerships and collaboration to make an impact, particularly in a new industry. And if you think about med rhythms, we are sort of at the intersection of really two different emerging industries, one being digital therapeutics, which we talk a lot about, and the other being this field of music and neuroscience. 
as we think about that, we think that we're going to need robust and perhaps non-conventional partnerships in order for us to get there. Universal Music Group, as we thought about what type of music do we need, we felt like we needed music that was familiar and engaging such that patients would do it. But also there's research that shows that when you do these interventions with music that people like, there's enhanced outcomes. And from that perspective, it made a lot of sense for us to think about this partnership in this way. And I think for Universal, they're a very innovative and forward-thinking organization in terms of how they think about the next frontier of music and the next frontier of uses of music. And I know that they specifically have been interested in music and health applications. And really, I think we're excited about the potential of a prescription music platform, which as we think about that too, if we're fortunate enough to get an FDA approval, we will be the world's first prescription music platform. You know, it's exciting. So it makes the partnership, I think, uh, work well. It's super exciting. When I first heard about it, I was kind of, just for our listeners, they can't see my face, but I said, whoa, <laughs> super <laughs> size. Congrats on that. As you guys been and continue being in R&D mode, and if I'm parallel a lot of this to how pharmaceutical companies, life sciences companies work, you know, there's an R&D process, clinical trials, we go through a lot of that, and then there's market access. So maybe we switch gears a little bit. I know you guys also struck a deal with Eversanif as a market access partner. Tell us a little bit more on A, your thinking around this, B, that go-to-market strategy as you're working through the FDA approvals and other things, please. Yeah, absolutely. So we struck another collaboration with Eversana, and they are a great organization that is really leading in life sciences and medical device commercialization and um, doing a commercialization deal with them on our chronic stroke asset. And as we thought about that, as we think about sort of the end-to-end -end commercialization and what it takes to bring a product to market, as you know, particularly in a prescription way, everything from market access and field force and beginning to end, that's a robust system. And they really bring a significant amount of expertise and experience in that area. And from our perspective, you know, we'll be calling on doctors that are physiatrists, treating patients with chronic strokes, educating physical therapists. And for us, it made a lot of sense for us to partner with them in that effort, given their background and their experience. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the chief medical officer and general manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Brian, if you were to dissect your deal with Biogen, what is your business hypothesis on how this partnership will make you both money? Well, thank you, Chandana. I appreciate that question. As we think about the world of MS and patients living with multiple sclerosis, walking deficits are a big problem, and they impact nearly every aspect of somebody's life. Their quality of life impacts on falls, independence, et cetera. And as we think about MS, there's large unmet need in this area. So as we think about the value that we could provide together, Biogen is, they're pioneers in neuroscience, and they are leaders in the field of MS. And from our perspective, the hope that we have in terms of the potential that the products could have with our expertise in digital therapeutics and along with our experts in the intervention of music and neuroscience to improve walking here, we think that that collaboration sets us up very well to think about a standalone digital therapeutic that really could add a lot of value in an area where there's significant unmet needs specifically around walking. 
Yeah, and I'm going to actually hop in here, having spent some time in pharma. And again, pharmaceutical companies, the core asset is still the molecule, large or small. And I always joke around that to a certain extent, digital therapeutic companies and pharmaceutical companies are frenemies trying to figure stuff out together. (laughs) And at some point, there will be enough revenues on standalone, et cetera. So this is absolutely great to see this partnership coming alive. But I wanted to touch on a little bit, you know, back in 2013, or maybe as you were unraveling some of this, what was your original business hypothesis? Was pharma, as an example, part of that? How did you think about monetizing it? And if you can actually talk about pricing, not specific to the Biogen deal, but how you guys are looking at the pricing going forward into the marketplace? It's a good question. I mean, obviously, in the early days, there were lots of questions about monetization and commercial models and how this could work. We've always believed that when we talk about access and getting people access to the care that they need and that they deserve, in order to provide access, that will require third-party reimbursement in some way. So that's fundamental to access and equity for all in terms of healthcare is getting people access to third-party reimbursement. I think to your question around pharma in early days, I think from our perspective, there was always an interesting synergy, even clinically, to think about why pharma may care about digital therapeutics if you're addressing similar disease states, similar problems. I can tell you that conversations with pharma over the years has changed drastically in terms of how even pharma companies at large understand what digital therapeutics are and the value that they can provide in terms of their therapeutic value in addition to the fact that they're technology and they can collect data and insights and that types of things. So I think it has taken a bit of time for the digital therapeutics industry to, I will say, evolve or mature to a point where there's much more clear value proposition to what value we can provide to an organization like pharma. Um, I think as we think about our products specifically around being a prescription, the model of this actually looks a lot like a drug in terms of how they are prescribed and hopefully reimbursed by payers like a drug would be for a period of time that you need the intervention and then we see you know, results after that. And so the high level, obviously, I can't talk specifics about pricing, but at a high level, that's how we're thinking about it. And I think that's why a partnership like this could make a lot of sense. As we're talking about going to market, and I think you somewhat alluded to working with Eversana and whose doors you're knocking, some of the challenges around, I think the role of a doctor and prescribing this is absolutely understood. Somewhat of a selfish question We've been seeing use cases with digital therapeutics because we all, at the end of the day, need a human to lean on. Your role of health coaches, how do you see that evolving, whether it's with you guys directly or just in the digital therapeutic world? It's a great question. I mean, as we think about even health coaches in general, what's unique particularly about our chronic stroke population is many of our chronic stroke survivors, there's 3 million people living in home in the U.S. today with chronic stroke walking deficits. So deficits in their walking ability that were due to the stroke. At this point in their lives, they historically are not receiving services anymore. They seem to have plateaued in things like physical therapy. They may be seeing a doctor once in a while, but largely have plateaued and not receiving services. So many places that they're going for improvements are actually things like might be a personal trainer or even a health coach and these types of things. And as we think about the chronic stroke population in general, that specifically is an interesting market to think about health coaches being an avenue or an advocate for these types of new products. When we think a little bit broader than that, I think regardless of population, 
folks like caregivers and their networks and uh, the people that they look to for health input are going to be critical to the success in terms of the awareness that can be provided and education that can be provided about new products. Excellent. Thank you. I'd love to, as we have you here, and there's many entrepreneurs listening in, and as a DTX podcast, we get a number of inbound messages on, I'm just getting started with a DTX. What do we do? So would love for you to maybe give some advice to these entrepreneurs that obviously you guys, kind of the early first wave of trailblazers, paved some of the ways. Any advice for the entrepreneurs out there that are building clinically validated digital therapies? I love the question because I think one of the things that we have to acknowledge in this industry, in this field of healthcare, building products in healthcare, particularly ones that are these prescription digital therapeutics, it's really hard to get all of the pieces right from the clinical validation, regulatory approval, prescription, the commercial models, building a product that works, but also building a product that patients will use. And I think that acknowledging that at the beginning, that this road is not fast and this road will have many challenges if when you're pioneering a new industry, but patients need it. Our patients are waiting for us to bring these products to market because they fill a need that currently exists that nothing else can fill. And so what I will say as we think about pushing this forward is A, don't do it in a silo. Use collaborations, use partnerships. Bring everyone with you. Think about non-traditional partnerships. Bring everyone with you because it's going to take people outside of healthcare to change what's happening inside of healthcare. And so make sure that you're bringing the world with you as you bring these things close to market and be persistent because at the end of the day, the patients are counting on us to get it right. Thank you. This was wonderful. And this reminds me of that statement. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think the challenge for entrepreneurs is marrying the fast and long. But I think we're all finding those balances. Absolutely. Well, Brian, we started with you in the beginning uh, and want to end with you and would love for our listeners to understand what gets you up in the morning, aside from your young son. <laughs> Yeah, he does. My two and a half year old certainly does uh, give me up in the morning at varying hours of the morning. But as I think about this, it is solely the patients that we serve. As I said, this has been, a, as you pointed out, a, a journey to date over many years to build the products and figure out how we bring them to market. And we're finally in this stretch where we're really focused on commercialization and the first time that we will actually get our products into the hands of the patients that need it. And when I was working in the hospital, I made a decision to stop being a clinician every day, to become an entrepreneur, to fix a problem that I solved. And for me, when I saw that there was a need in the hospital and I found that I had a solution to that need, I felt like I had a responsibility to do something about it. And so my path to entrepreneurship was really driven by that responsibility to patients. And I gave my patients, my colleagues, the doctors there, my word that I would figure it out. And that's what keeps me going and makes me wake up in the morning as we do this work. Absolutely powerful. Brian, thank you for being here and informing our listeners on your journey and looking forward to the next steps and seeing some of the commercialization come alive. Thanks, Eugene. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, always an honor to be here and to talk about that. So thank you very much. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission Based Media. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.